This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahimi Maliki Yawmiddin Allahumma laka alhamdu wa ilayka al-mushtaka wa bika thiqatu wa alayka al-tuklan wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-aliyu al-azim Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa hal-ugratan min lisani yafqahu qawli Allahumma la sahli la ma ja'altahu sahla wa an taj'al hazna idha shi'ta sahla Allahumma salli wa sallim ala sayyidina wa habibina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihadihi wa stanna bi sunnatihi wa da'a bi da'watihi ila yawmiddin Inshallah ta'ala, this is a continuation of a regular class that was ongoing. It's the first time I'm actually doing it in front of an audience because we started during the lockdown. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us to be able to give us this, to have this gathering really. And I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah. Um, so we were going through the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah and we are going to continue from where we left off which was uh, verse 74 So uh, Surah Al-Baqarah um, Is the Largest chapter in the Quran And it has a lot of benefits in it If someone reads Surah Al-Baqarah And learns it and understands it You will come across um, A lot of aqidah that you will learn A lot of history and of, of the previous uh, people that you will learn You will learn a lot of fiqh and understanding It is a very comprehensive surah which I urge everyone to memorize as well. The, the fact of the matter is, a lot of us will not memorize the whole Quran. And this is just a fact of life. Many of us, sadly, are not going to become Hufad. But a lot of people assume that that means that you can just go on your whole life only knowing the small chapters, and that is fine. It is very important that you challenge yourself in learning more about the Quran, and ask yourself every year, okay, how much more have I learned? The study of the Qur'an, whether it is the study of its meaning or it is the study of uh, its, its memorization, should not be something that is relegated only to the madaris. So as adults and, and as you grow older, you should have a target of memorizing some of the Qur'an. And there is a great blessing in memorizing Surah Al-Baqarah and understanding its meaning. Someone that did that, that person has a lot of knowledge, alhamdulillah. And uh, this surah, at the moment we are going through the story of Banu Israel. And there is a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the qis of the Israel. As we went through the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts this surah by introducing the different type of categories people are, believers, non-believers, and hypocrites. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala laid down the foundations of Islam. This is why you will find the first commandment in Surah Al-Baqarah. And if you read the Quran chronologically from Fatiha, the first commandment you'll come across is, Ya Yuhanas, Ubudu Rabbakum, O mankind, worship your Lord. So you understand your purpose of life. We are supposed to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You come across the first prohibition, La tajarulillahi and do not give Allah any equals, do not commit any shirk. And as you go along, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Okay, so what happens if you have tawheed? What happens if you're upon shirk? Allah mentions that, uh, that, that those upon shirk that they will be in the hellfire. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us examples of the good people and the bad people Those whom you should emulate and follow and those who you shouldn't And Allah started by giving us an example of Prophet Adam salam, Our father, the first human being And there is a connection there The first story Allah tells us in the Quran is the story of Adam salam, To tell you, okay, this is your origin 
This is where you came from. And the story of Adam, what does it discuss? Of course, his creation. The purpose of his creation. And then also talking about how uh, he wasn't perfect. He, had a, he, he erred and there was flaws. Uh, when they were told to not eat from the food, they, they did. And also that eternal struggle between us and shaitan. And that that is a constant presence in your life. So Allah is introducing you to these concepts. So do like what your father did. When he made a mistake, فَتَلَقَّى آدَمِ رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٍ فَتَابَ عَلَيْهِ So he repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There you have your first lesson. Be like your father Adam. Repent from your sins. Do not be like Iblis who was arrogant. Now you were given an example of an individual, Adam alayhi salam. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us another example. Let me show you. And the whole surah will keep on showing you people that failed and people that succeeded. And it's beautiful how the story, it sets the tone. So even before we, because as we go along and the first juice finishes, then we get to the legislations, uh, the prayer, the fasting, the zakat. But before we get to that, you're getting a lesson. Well, these are the people that came before you, some who failed and some who succeeded. Don't do the one, what they did of those that failed and do what the ones who succeeded do. And you see that even in the beginning of the Quran, if you read Surah Al-Fatiha, which is a summary of the whole Quran, Allah mentions towards the end, those whom you have blessed the path of those whom you have blessed then Allah in the surah is showing us glimpses of those we have blessed we saw Adam we will see Prophet Musa we will see Prophet Ibrahim and Ismail as we go along those are the ones whom Allah blessed follow them not among those that you have that have earned your, your wrath or those who have went astray. Who are the ones that in Allah's wrath? The scholars say these were the Yahud. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells about a whole nation that went astray. Literally a whole nation that went astray. And Allah goes in a lot of detail of how they went astray. Starting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them. This is why when Allah introduces the Bani Israel, Allah mentions uh, that, remember I mentioned this, the, the people of Bani Israel, how we have given them more than any other ummah. And we have given them virtue over the rest of the world. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about, so what's so special about Bani Israel? Allah mentions all the blessings he was giving them. Starting with, how we have saved you from Fir'aun. And, and so Allah mentions So the Bani Israel were saved from the oppression of Fir'aun we, They were given a prophet From amongst the people Musa They were given a book, the Torah They were blessed in many different ways But they kept on going back into disobedience And they kept on going back into sin And they kept on going back into disbelief And every time Allah would forgive them And Allah mentions We know the story And we mentioned that before That they worshipped an idol after they saw the miracle of the splitting of the sea. But Allah said, After that we forgave you. Then after that some of them would ask Musa, We won't believe you until you show us who Allah is. Again a blasphemous statement. Again uh, Allah mentions that he forgave them. Then they are, Allah mentions that they were told to enter into the promised land or the holy land, Ard al-Muqaddasa, or that they were told to enter into Jerusalem. And then they, they were told to enter humble, humble and with humility. And then they refused to do so. But then they were forgiven again. And subhanallah, and this is actually when Allah punishes them with the wandering on the earth. So when they, they, they were wandering the earth, when they refused to enter the first time into Jerusalem, and they refused to follow Musa and, and conquer the city, Allah punished them with 40 years of wandering the earth. 
But while they were in punishment, highlighting Allah's mercy, while they Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected them, Allah mentions that Allah shaded them with clouds so that they wouldn't burn in the, uh, in the heat of the desert. So while they are in exile, they are being blessed. And Allah said, I gave you al-man and as-salwa. Literally, they were having a heavenly uh, delights from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then what did they do? They said to Musa, we're tired of this. We want to farm. We want to have basal uh, uh, and, 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 and salads and cucumbers and, and whatnot. And then again, Allah tells us, look at what you're doing. You've been giving all of this. You're disobeying. You've been forgiven. You're coming back in disobedience. Why is Allah telling us this story? What's the relevance to us? This is where you have to understand the tone that is set. The Quran is being revealed on the Prophet Sallallahu Al-Baqarah is Madani. It is revealed in Medina Sallallahu It's revealed in Medina. So the Prophet is the first time coming into contact with Yahud. And he's calling them to Islam. The Prophet Sallallahu and the Muslims are giving a lesson on who these people are. And their history. And that's the context. And a lot of these conversations, especially the ones that we're going through today, it will go, go so Allah tells us about their past. And then you also learn about their present. And that present for us is the past because it's the time of the Prophet Muhammad. We went also through the story of the, the, the Baqarah, which is the surah is named after in our last lesson, that was before Ramadan, where, uh, and, and this is uh, the lesson before this one, we talked about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us a story. And it's very interesting how Allah introduces the story. Allah mentions and remember when Musa was told, or told his people to. Uh, slaughter a cow And you're wondering As you're reading the Quran Okay so why are they being asked To slaughter the cow It sounds random But it isn't There's a story behind it And the scholars of the Sid Explain it But this was A murder mystery Someone was killed No, no one knew who he was So they are trying to find out And the, the killer himself Started making a big deal about it Well And it, well, he actually killed uh, His uncle Because he couldn't wait To inherit him So his uncle would, Just wouldn't die And his, well, he was rich so he decided to speed up the process and kill him. And then they, he has to make a scene because it's his uncle who killed my uncle. They go to Prophet Musa. Oh, Prophet Musa, this murder happened. What do we do? Uh, you need to help us. You're the, or the Prophet. And he tells them, slaughter a cow. And they're like, we're telling you that there is a murder that happened and you're telling us to slaughter a cow. So this is when the problem happened of they were not submitting to the Prophet. They were not listening, hearing and obeying. They were not understanding the one you're speaking to does not speak of his own accord. He speaks because Allah tells him to speak. And they didn't appreciate that simple fact. And this is a lesson for us. When you hear the Prophet said, when you hear an ayah in the Quran, remember this is a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they then start badgering and questioning Musa alayhi salam. What kind of cow is it? How does it look like? We need more details. And then Musa has a beautiful statement, which is truly the essence of Surah Al-Baqarah. He says, If Do what you're being commanded. Do what you are being commanded. This is the essence of being a abid to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tells you to pray, pray. Allah tells you to, to fear Allah, fear Allah. Allah tells you to not consume riba, don't consume riba. Allah tells you, do as you are being told. This is where salvation lies in. But they keep on pestering and badgering and asking until finally that the cow becomes more specific each time. And it's more difficult for them to find it. The first one slaughtered any cow. So if they would have just grabbed any cow and slaughtered it, then the murder mystery would have been solved and they would have found the answer. But because they kept on saying, what color is it? Is this color? Is it the type of that, that, that uh, tills the fields? Or what, ty- what type of cow is it? And they kept on, so it became more specific, more specific, until they ended up one particular cow that the young man owned, who was uh, very kind to his mother, and they had to buy it in its own weight in gold. 
And then the scholars, they say, They made it difficult for themselves, so Allah made it difficult for them. Now this is exactly where we, we, we left off. Um, they slaughtered the cow, and then Allah tells them, Musa tells them, this is the connection between the murder and the cow. Take a piece of the cow and hit it with the deceased person. So they were told to hit it with the deceased person. Which part of the cow? Some say it was its tongue. Some say it was its tail. Others say it was another piece. Allah did not tell us. And what's important that Allah says, a piece of it. Sometimes going into too much detail into figuring out exactly what is is a knowledge that doesn't benefit. But they hit a piece of the cow against the deceased body and what happened? It woke up. Or the person that died, he woke up. And he pointed at the one that killed him. And just like that, Allah revives the dead. Part of the wisdom behind all this, the running around, finding the cow, was so that Allah could show them his ability to resurrect the dead. And to show us so that we can read about it. So Allah says, كَذَلِكَ يُحْيِي اللَّهُ الْمَوْتَى And Surah Al-Baqarah is, is there's five stories mentioned of someone that died being revived. Five different times, incidents of someone that died that's being revived. Inshallah, as you go along, we'll get to those stories as well. طيب. So now, the Banu Israel literally saw someone come back to life. Perhaps that is what's going to help them obey. Perhaps this is the time now, halas, you've seen the greatest sign. The splitting of the sea did not work for you. The shading in the desert did not work for you. The, uh, I mentioned even, uh, uh, we mentioned uh, uh, last week or the week before, another sign that literally Allah hovered a mountain over them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the mountain tour and it hovered over them. Right? Uh, Allah mentions, وَرَفَعْنَا فَوْقَكُمُ الطُورِ خُذُوا مَعَتِنَكُمْ بِقُوَةٍ They still fell into disobedience. So you can tell what kind of people they are. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, after all of this, ثُمَّ After all of this, قَصَدْ قُلُوبُكُمْ مِنْ بَعِي ذَلِكَ your hearts became hardened after all of this. You see someone that died come back to life. Is this not enough? And ikhwani fillah, this ayah, uh, verse 74, it's an ayah that we should all ponder over. One of the worst punishments that can happen to someone. Sometimes people wonder, when you sin and you sin and you sin and you sin, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets you live and enjoy among the greatest punishments and consequences of sin, is that you don't come back from that sin. And Allah lets you. Let's you stay. Because the one whom Allah gives the chance to repent. This is the blessed person. And sometimes you assume that punishments are uh, something bad happening to you, you becoming sick or diseases or, or what have you. But one of the greatest punishments that we should all be wary of and ask of is that Allah makes your heart like stone. Like stone. You hear the Quran, it doesn't move you. You're told about the hellfire, you don't care. You're being told about what happened to the people in the past, the Quran, nothing. Your heart becomes like stone. And there are reasons that lead up to that. Allah mentions it as one of his punishments. Because of their disbelief, because of their disobedience, Allah says we cursed them and we made their hearts like stone. So it is a cause and effect. When you leave Islam, when you leave the deen, when you are immersed in sin, it can result in your heart becoming like stone or even worse. And this is what we should ask Allah to protect us from. But similarly, Allah did tell us in the, in the Quran and in the, in the Sunnah, ways to soften your hearts. There are some beautiful hadith. Imam Ibn Rajab, the great scholar Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali has a book about قَصَّةُ الْقَلْبُ عِلَاجِهِ 
what makes your heart like stone hard and how to soften it. And it's very interesting. What affects your heart? And this is something that we need to spend time with. And you need to also kind of do a self-diagnosis. When you hear the Quran, does it move you? When you listen to a lecture or a khutbah, how do you feel afterwards? And you need to start working on that. And one of the things that help is doing more acts of obedience. And, 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 and being conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, the Prophet said in a hadith that uh, if you want your heart to become soft, for your heart to become soft, wipe over the head of the orphan. Show kindness to the, to the poor. That's one of the ways your heart softens. Uh, that the Prophet mentioned also the dhikr of Allah, of course, the recitation of the Quran, all of these things. So Allah mentioned here, So who are we talking about the Israel? The, the people that just witnessed someone come back to life. After all of that and those signs that you witnessed, your hearts became hardened like stone. After all of that. It is like stone or even harder. So one of the problems I have seen in some of the uh, translations is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said your hearts became like stone or even harder. The word or, it implies in uncertainty. Who came? It was Muhammad or Ali. That you're not sure. But can we assume that Allah doesn't know? Allah of course knows. So to translate it as just or, so your heart became like stone or harder, it doesn't mean one or the other and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't sure ta'ala Allah. Allah knows everything. So the language that he being used is not, uh, the word aw ashaddu, it's like when we say ja'a muhammadun aw ali. When we say it, the word aw, it means or, you're not sure. But when Allah uses it, it doesn't mean that. It means your hearts became like stone, aw ashaddu qaswa, in fact, even worse than stone. That's how he translated. Your hearts became like stone, in fact, let's not insult the stones, your hearts are even harder. Aw ashaddu qaswa. وَإِنَّ مِنَ الْحِجَارَةِ And among the stones are لَمَا يَتَفَجَّرُ مِنْهُ الْأَنْهَارُ Ones that rivers gush forth from and water gushes forth from. And this is like the example of the waterfalls, right? So it shows you that stones have nafa in them. And Allah mentions وَإِنَّ مِنْهَا لَمَا يَشَقَّقُ فَيَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ الْمَاءَ And among the stones are those that split and then water comes from it. And we mentioned in our last lesson the miraculous stone that Bani Israel would carry. So this is when they were in the exile. They had a miraculous stone that they would carry because they would become thirsty. And Musa would hit his, his staff with it and then water would just gush forth. So, And among the stones are, or the rocks are, Those that descend or fall out of fear of Allah. You know when you see a landslide in a mountain, you see those rocks dwindling or, or, or falling down? Allah is mentioning that when in the, among the rocks or the stones are those that fall down are the fear of Allah. The same fear that you won't find in the hearts of those that have a hard heart, like stone, like the Banu Israel. They see someone literally come back to life, it doesn't do anything for them. And Allah is not unaware of what you are doing. A mas'ala that is discussed during this verse is, so how can a rock have a fear of Allah? How can a stone have fear? Can they think? Do they have uh, understanding? Are they aware? Are they not jamadat? Are they not uh, what is known as something that is um, not alive, right? Um, the scholars, they, when they discuss it, they say that's not the case. Because we have ev- many evidence that suggests that the ahjar or the jamadat, things that are um, uh, like rocks, stones, walls, 
that they do have a certain understanding, but we just don't get it, but Allah does. And there's examples of this, especially in Surah Al-Hashr. In Surah Al-Hashr, Allah mentions, لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل. If this Quran were to be revealed over a mountain, uh, what did Allah say? لو أنزلنا هذا على جبل لرأيته خاشعا. You would see this mountain humbled. متصدعاً, splitting. من خاشتي لعرفي رب الله. This tells you what? Allah is telling us that if the Quran were to be revealed on a mountain, it would split out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet in a hadith is authentic that there was a rock in Mecca that used to give him salam. There was a rock in Mecca that used to give him salam. And we know that the Prophet said about Uhud, Uhud is a mountain that loves us and we love it. So Uhud loves the believers. Uhud is a mountain. Has anyone seen Uhud? You would think, okay, does it think? Well, it has its own way. So all of these adilla, they show that yes, and this is why even in Surah Isra, when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, "Wa min shayin illa yusabbihu bihamdihi wa lakin la there is nothing except it has its own way of glorifying Allah, but you do not understand how it glorifies Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So yes, from our perspective, these things. Rocks and stones and wood, they have no, no meaning to us and, and we can't understand them and, and they have no intellect. But to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are in constant glorification in Allah. Allah is mentioning that these rocks, when they descend out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of these that shows you that, first of all, our understanding of the world is very limited. And that inanimate objects, that inanimate objects do have a sense of existing and understanding. طيب. And what's, what's sad is, that the hearts of Banu Israel who heard the Quran, who were with a prophet, their hearts became more hard than stones. And that Allah is saying, even stones are better than you. May Allah protect us from that. And may Allah protect us from the qaswa that happens to the heart. طيب. And just to, before we move on from this ayah, um, the scholars they explain a qalbun qasi, a heart that has become hard like stone. They say it is the heart that doesn't get affected when they hear, uh, when they are reminded and they hear the Quran and they are told to fear Allah. If you or anyone is, is, feels that way, then you have to take steps to remedy that and heal your heart. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heal all of our hearts. Tayyib. So now, after the story, this story is finished, Allah poses a question. And this question is being posed to the Prophet and to the companions. More specifically, the Ansar. Because the Ansar were the inhabitants of Medina, and they were very eager for the Yahud to accept Islam. Because they lived with each other long, they knew each other. Now the Prophet comes to Medina, and the Prophet is preaching Islam. And they're like very eager, they're like, these are our brothers, they're from the people of the book. They have more in common, they understand these things like prophets and hereafter. They're not idol worshippers. So they were very eager for them to become Muslim. But you know what's sad? Most of the polytheists of the Mushrikeen, they end up accepting Islam. Only a very small number of the Yehud or the Jewish community that live in Medina accepted Islam. Afradun qalilun. Very few numbers. Why? The following reasons. Allah says, lakum. Do you really wish that they will believe? Allah is telling this, reprimanding. Do you wish and hope lakum, that they are going to believe? Weren't a party among them, a group among them, who did not used to hear the speech of Allah, and then they would change it. After they have understood it, knowingly and deliberately, Allah is almost telling the believers, that lower your expectations. 
lower your expectation of these people. They, they, they did whatever they wanted with the Torah and with Musa's uh, message. Do you, and Musa was from among them. Do you think, do you have all this high expectation that they're going to come into Islam? No, that's not their case. A group among them, these are the scholars, they're rabbis, they're ahbar. They would hear the speech of Allah. Some of these scholars of tafsir, they went with an explanation of this verse that is marjuh. Marjuh means it is not the, the more correct view. They said that this is referring to until they hear the speech of Allah. It is referring to an incident that happened during the time of Prophet Musa. When Prophet Musa went to receive the Torah, and he took with him 70 of Banu Israel, that they, and they asked the blasphemous question, can we see Allah? That they were also, and then they were killed and then resurrected, and they said, well, okay, fine, if you can't see him, can we at least hear him? So they made this request. At least if you can't see him, can we hear Allah's speech? And then that they prostrated and made sujood, and then Allah spoke and they heard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the explanation. So then the, 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 the ayah would become, these people, do you think they're going to believe when some of them literally heard the speech of Allah and yet disobeyed? But that is a tafsir that is uh, why? What's so special about Prophet Musa if 70 of his Israel also heard Allah speak? Didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak directly to Musa alayhi salam? And we call him Kalimullah. If there are 70 others that also heard Allah's speech, that takes away the, the, the special feature of who? Of Prophet Musa alayhi salam. This is why scholars like Qadi Iyad and many other Mufassirun, they say, and even Imam Tabari, they say that this is a, an incorrect view, and that the Kalamullah that is being referred to here is just a Torah. The same way we could say today, uh, we all heard the speech of Allah when we listen to the Quran. So, uh, and yes, the Torah is the speech of Allah. The same way that the Injil was the speech of Allah. The Injil, the Torah, the Zabud. This, this is the Kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here, Kalamullah is referring to the Torah. Similarly, when you find, uh, for example, Surah Tawbah, when Allah says, فَأَجِرُوا حَتَّى يَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ is referring to the Qur'an. So, what did they do when they, when, they had the, when they heard the speech of Allah? They changed it. This is referring to the, alterca- the alterations and change that they used to do to the Torah. So they were just, and this, the, the tahrif that they did is of two kinds. Tahrif lovely and tahrif ma'nawi. Sometimes they would literally come to a verse and say, yeah, this one, we don't like it. Let's just replace it completely with something different. And sometimes they would keep it as it is, but they would interpret it in a different way. It doesn't really mean this. It doesn't really mean that. More specifically, it's referring to the, uh, the verses that clearly depicted Rasulullah And they were extremely explicit. In fact, you know nowadays when we read the, or when you read the Bible, or people that look into it, you find uh, verses that allude to the Rasul it's not, uh, it's not super uh, clear as it was during the time of the Prophet During the time of the Prophet the Torah that the Yahud of Medina had, it literally mentioned the height of the Prophet how he looked like, where he would come from, extreme detail, to the point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Allah says, they knew Prophet Muhammad like they know their own children. Right? So, they had to change that. And they would say, no, 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 no. He's not a prophet. No, it's th- these verses, they're not talking about him. So this is also part of the ta'rif. مِن بَعْدِ مَا عَقَلُّهُ After they understood it. Why is that significant? Because when after you understood it, this is implying Allah is telling us they knew the haqq. They chose to change it. To misguide the people. And who were the culprits? It was their scholars. 
Allah said, وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ While they know, knowingly and deliberately. Now Allah has said that's about a second group of the Yahud. And this is very interesting. You guys must have heard of the Munafiqun, the hypocrites, right? In Medina. And you've heard of the Yahud in Medina. Now we have a combination. The hypocrites from the Yahud. Right? So they were the, the Jewish people that claimed to accept Islam, but were really didn't. Right? So Allah says, وَإِذَا لَقُلَّ آمَنُوا when the Yahud that claimed that they are Muslims would meet the believers, they say, yeah, we believe. He's a prophet, we believe, we are with you. And when some of them become private with others, so when they go back to their folks, their people, now they are told off. The hypocrites are being told off by the actual Yahud and the scholars. They're saying, like, what are you guys doing? Because the hypocrites... Uh, who are secretly still uh, from the Yahud, but they are openly saying that they are believers. When they are with the Sahaba, when they are with the Prophet, they would say, Yeah, man, you're right. Yeah, it's mentioned in our books, Muhammad's descriptions, everything is there. So they would be c- kind of exposing the secrets. And now, Allah is telling us, this ayah is telling us a conversation between the Yahudi that is the Munafiq and the Yahudi that is uh, not a Munafiq. He's, just, he's not even a believer, he's a Kafir. And they're talking to each other. So the kuffar among them are saying, What's wrong with you guys? Are you telling them? Who's them? The Muslims. Are you telling them? Why are you telling them about all these verses that depict from Muhammad Don't expose our secrets. So that tomorrow, they will have an argument against us in front of Allah. Billahi alayk, think about it. They're saying, listen, if you tell them all of these verses and that the truth is here, on the yawm al-qiyamah they will say, Ya Allah, Wallahi, they knew about you, the Prophet Muhammad they told us themselves. So stop exposing us here. This is literally what they are saying to them. So, bima fatahallahu alaykum. So, bima fatahallahu alaykum. What is the tafsir of bima fatahallahu alaykum? What has been revealed upon you? The scholars say, um, the majority of them that this is talking about the... the, the uh, the verses that depicted Rasulullah sallallahu that he would be from Mecca, that he would look like this, that would prove the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu Stop telling them this. This is, this is arguments for them, right? They will use it against us. Another one is, Stop telling us about our past, about the judgment that was made against our people. Stop telling them that we disobeyed so many times. بِمَا قَضَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْنَا So, بِمَا قَضَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَبِمَا حَكَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ فَتَحَ بِمَعْنَا حَكَمَ This is what Imam Al-Qurtubi says. It means that these munafiqun, when they are conversing with the Muslims, and they're acting Muslim, they would mention these stories that, yes, uh, previously our people were destroyed because of this, and after this we did this. And they would tell some of the errors that the early Yahud made, and some of the punishment that came as a result. Such as, for example, turning them into uh, apes, right? For example, this, uh, and some of the Salaf, they allude to this. So they're saying, stop telling them this, because this is just embarrassing us and showing us that we are wrong. So basically, this is, they are reprimanding them, saying, don't do any of this. Why? Because if you do, they will have an argument in front of Allah against us. Do you not have intellect? Do you not understand? So, who's saying this? The Jewish scholars and the Yahud, the Ahbar, the rabbis are saying, Hey, are you, are, you, are you dumb? Do you understand? Stop exposing us. Other scholars said, It's referring to the speech of Allah Almighty. So Allah is saying, remember this, the verse started, or the previous verse, Oh uh, believers, do you hope that these people are going to believe? 
when they have done this and this and this, and then Allah mentions Allah says, Afalat Aqilun, do you not have intellect? You shouldn't lower your expectations with regards to the Yahud of Medina. This is what's being told. So Allah is telling us more about them. Then Allah tells us when they are saying they will have an argument in front of Allah, doesn't Allah already know what's in their hearts? Doesn't Allah already know that they are whether they are hypocrites or believers or they are hiding? Allah asks a question. Do, do they not know that Allah knows what they are hiding? And that which they reveal? To Allah it's all the same. Allah already knows. And then Allah mentions another group. So far you've learned about two groups. Of the Yahud of Banu Israel in Medina. Group number one were the scholars that were changing the Torah. And they were hiding things, right? Group number two were the ones who claimed to be believers but actually weren't. Now you have the third group. وَمِنْهُمْ And from among them is Ummiyun, Illiterate ones. Ones that cannot read and cannot write. Ummiyun. The word Ummi, you find it quite often in the Quran and the Sunnah. An Ummi is someone that cannot write and cannot read. This is an Ummi. And it comes from the word Umm. Meaning, you are just the way you were when your mother gave birth to you. You haven't attained any knowledge of reading or writing. Rasulullah could not read or write. Right? And Allah calls him Al-Nabiyyul Ummi, the Prophet that was illiterate, that couldn't read or write. Is that a, a point of criticism for the Prophet Absolutely not. And Allah explains to us why. In fact, Allah says, وَمَا كُنْتَ تَتْلُوا مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَلَا تَخُطُّهُ بِيَمِينِكِ إِذَا لَرْتَعَبَ الْمُطِيرُونَ You were not able to read, O Muhammad, nor were you able to write. And this was actually a blessing. Why? Because when the Prophet ﷺ came with this, if you could read and write what they would have said, well, you could read and write. You probably picked up a few Torahs and added some of your own. But when he could not read and could not write, the argument goes out of the window, right? Like, if someone can read and cannot write and then produces the, uh, the, the Qur'an, and this is an, an evidence for the Prophet ﷺ that this came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's go back to this. And among the Yahud are Ummiyun, illiterate ones. لا يعلمون الكتاب They do not know the Kitab. They do not know the Torah. إلا أماني All they know is wishful thinking. All they have is wishful thinking and hopes and desires they were given. So they are so jahil. This is a third group among the Yahud. So the ones that knew the Kitab messed around with it. And then you have these groups of people, they are the awam. They have not read, they don't read. They are illiterate. All they know is what they've been told. And what have they been told? They've been told, Antum Sha'abullah al Mukhtar, you are the chosen people. They have been told, you will definitely go to Jannah. Everyone that is Yahud is going to go to Jannah. And if you go to Hafai, it's going to be for a few days. Right? This is what they've been told. You will be punished for a few days and then you will be free. They've been told that you are the best people. They've been told that um, some of them, when they would find out, Oh no, the Rasulullah is mentioned in the Muhammad is depicted in the Torah. What do we do? They would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, he's the Prophet of the Arabs. Don't worry about it. He's the Prophet of the Arabs. So they would be the ummis that would just be played around with. And Allah is telling us, and this is a lesson for us, by the way. By the way, subhanAllah. When the Prophet, let me finish the ayah first. They do not know the Torah. Illa amani, except for these wishes that they've been given, these desires that they've been given. Don't worry, you'll go to Jannah, just do your thing, it's fine, we are chosen people. And they don't have nothing except assumptions and guesswork. Right? Some scholars have said that amani here, it means tilawa. All they know is how to recite. Which means, and among them are ignorant folks. They don't understand the kitab. إِلَّا أَمَانِي Except its recitation. وَإِنْهُمْ إِلَّا يَظُنُّونَ 
and they do not but have assumptions. So this the scholar that made tafsir al-Amani and is a valid tafsir because lughatan umniyah it means tilawa. This is referring to those that know how to read but don't understand. And that sadly is a lot of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that they can read the Quran but they do not understand it. And when you don't understand the Quran, you're at the mercy of the scholars. And if the scholars are corrupted, then a big problem occurs in the Ummah. Al-Muhim, but the majority of the scholars, they go with many that they have these desires and these wishful hopes. And we mentioned what they were. Now, um, one of the biggest problems we have is that today, the corrupted scholars of the Yahud, we have corrupted Muslim scholars. And when we have Ummiyun that just live on desires and hopes, we still have those kind of people. And a good example would be if you look at, for example, uh, the Sufi orders. You know the Sufi orders, uh, the Duruq. They have people that follow them and they believe as long as I'm in the Sufi order, I'm going to be saved. And this Sheikh tells me. So they don't bother studying or learning or researching or questioning or asking. They completely rely. Don't worry, as long as you're in the tariqah, the tariqah takes you to Jannah. This is a problem because they are now captured. And then you have these scholars that they claim to be scholars that tell them whatever they want. Kiss my hand. Do this. Right? Dance around the mosque. This is what you need to do. Right? So they are almost at the mercy of these scholars. The same way these people were. And what's the lesson here? Educate yourself on your deen. Educate yourself on your deen. Understand the kitab. Learn. Right? طيب. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us some more details about the Yahud. And remember... Let's go back to the overall theme. Why is Allah telling us about the Yahud? Because this whole surah is about, we're going to teach you about some that were successful and some that were failures. An example of the, an ummah, a nation that failed after they were given so many opportunities is the Yahud. And among the things that they did was what? They messed around with revelation. You don't mess around with Allah's revelation. Fawailun. Woe unto those who write the book with their hands بِأَيْدِيهِمْ with their hands ثُمَّ and after that يَقُولُونَ they say هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ this comes from God why do they do this? لِيَشْتَرُوا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا so they can buy with it a small price فَوَيْلٌ لَهُمْ woe unto them مِمَّا كَتَبَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ of that which they have hands have written وَوَيْلٌ لَهُمْ and woe unto them مِمَّا يَكْسِبُونَ from that which they have earned so basically, cursed is what they've done and cursed is what they've earned. What did they do? They wrote Al-Kitab. Al-Kitab here should not be translated as Torah. Because this is literally something they would conjure themselves and write. And but with their own hands. And then they would say this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. Among the greatest sins one can commit. Some scholars even say it is on par with shirk. Is to say about Allah that which you do not know. To just claim this is what Allah says. And this is what these people were doing. And why were they doing it? Because they would earn a buck. They would earn some money. So, they need to keep the masses. They need to keep them engaged. They need to keep them connected to themselves. So they would just make up things. And half of what you see in these, uh, in these uh, traditions and these faiths that have been corrupted from what they purely were. The Injil was the word of God. And the Torah was the word of Allah Almighty And has been corrupted over time This ayah is referencing that corruption And that is not a fact that is hidden You know You won't find people that say No, actually the Bible today Is exactly as it was no, They will all agree that things have been added And things have been taken out Something that 
is clearly mentioned here in the Quran as well. So, Ikhwani Fillah, two more ayat, inshallah ta'ala. Allah then says, وَقَالُوا and they said, لَن تَمَسَّنَ النَّارِ The fire will not touch us. They claim that the fire will not touch them. إِلَّا أَيَّامًا مَعَدُودًا except for a few days. Why would they say that? Why would they say the fire will not touch us except for a few days? Because they believed that the, they are the chosen people and they deserve by right because of who they are they deserve to go to Jannah. That's what they believed. We will go to paradise. It is for us. And they would then say, except for a few days, we will go to hellfire. Why? And they would assume that because of the worshipping of the idol that happened when Musa went to receive the Torah and they, and they worshipped the cow, that we are all going to be punished for that. And there are many errors in that aqidah. Number one, why would Allah punish you for something that your ancestors did? And the Quran rectifies that. No one will burden a sin of another. The other thing is to claim that you're going to Jannah. So now we have a problem here. They believe they're going to go to Jannah because of who they are, not because of what they do. And they have this false belief except for a few days. Then Allah poses a question. Have you taken a covenant with Allah? Do you have a covenant, a promise from Allah Almighty that you're going to Jannah? Because if that's the case, Allah does not break his promise. If you have a clear promise from Allah that you're going to Jannah, Allah keeps his promises. In Allah, la mi'ad. Or are you saying about Allah that which you do not know? Which is the case, of course. Indeed, you are saying about Allah that which you have no knowledge of. Then Allah rectifies their belief and tells us, so what's the rule here? How do you end up in Nar or Hellfire and how do you end up in Jannah? These two following verses will teach you the qaida, the principle of how one enters into Hellfire or how one enters into Jannah. And it has nothing to do with your ancestors. It has nothing to do with who you are or where you come from. Bala man kasaba sayyatan. Nay. In fact, anyone who commits an evil, man kasaba, whoever earns a sin, an evil, sayyatan, wa'ahatat bihi. And that evil, that sin, encompasses that person. It surrounds you from all sides. If the person commits evil and that evil surrounds that person, then those are the people of the fire, they will abide in there forever. Now we need to break this down. What does it mean for your sin to surround you? It means to encompass you when your evil and your sins encompass you and you have no way out. That means you have no tawheed and you are upon shirk and kufr. You are upon disbelief. Because if you are upon kufr and disbelief and you have sins and all of this, then you have no way out. But as long as you have tawheed, there is a way out. Right? So as long as you believe in Allah Almighty and He has the only right to be worshipped and you have la ilaha illallah in your heart, no matter how many sins you commit, your sins have not encompassed you. There is an opening, there is a door, a huge door called tawheed. There is another door called tawbah. So these are all these doors that will save you. But if you're among those, that if your sins encompass you and you die upon kufr and shirk, then you are from the fire. Does it matter if you are related to the Prophet or not? Or that you are from the Yahud or not? Or you are from this family or that family? It doesn't matter. طيب, how do you go to Jannah? That verse taught you how you're going to go end up in hellfire. If you die upon shirk and kufr and sin, how do you go to Jannah? وَالَّذِينَ آمُنُ Ask for those who have faith and belief. Believe in what? They believe in Allah and the angels and the books and everything that they have to believe in. And they do righteous actions. And what is this referring to? 
righteous actions. By the way, brothers, you hear this often. Righteous actions. This needs to be broken down. Righteous actions are actions that have two things. Memorize this. Ikhlas mutaba'ah. Sincerity. Every act of worship you do, it has to be done solely for the sake of Allah. Ikhlas. Mutaba'ah. It should only be done the way the Prophet did it. Follow the Prophet's way. These two, these are the two conditions. Amilu um, salihat, and you do righteous actions. So how do you enter in Jannah? Have iman and do good deeds and righteous actions. If you do that, what does Allah say? Ulaik ashabul Jannah. They are the people of Jannah. Hum fiha khalidun, and in it they will abide forever. Ask Allah to make us of Jannah. Ask Allah to protect us from sin surrounding us and from shirk and kufr. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among those that hear and obey. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. To summarize this lesson, we've learned about the heart and what, what makes the heart like stone, sin, disobedience. These are the things. And I encourage all of you, if you get a chance, to pick up the book of Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, where he talks about how to heal your heart. Then we spoke about the relationship between the Yahud and the believers and how eager they were for them to accept Islam, but only a few accepted Islam. And the reason for this was that the corruption of the scholars the hypocrites among them, and the ignorant among them that would just believe whatever they were being told. Finally, the claim that the Yahud made that they will only enter into Jannah, they will enter into Jannah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us that that claim is false, and how you enter into Jannah is through actions, good actions and iman, and how you end up in hellfire. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.